0: changes, so there's some other thoughts about what PMS really stands for. Pass my shotgun. Psychotic mood shift. Perpetual munching spree. Puffy midsection Made make me sick. Provide me with sweets. Pardon my sobbing. Pimples may surface. Pass my sweatpants. And uh, potential murder suspect. Well, David was none of those things. Uh, but he so sort of learned patience and from our study and in in the word from his life I hope that we will get some of what he had. Throughout all of human history there's nothing new about uh, a country losing its leader by death and then a, gov- a military man stepping in to take over. And that's what happened when King Saul died on that. And his son, the prince, also died. And the stage was set then for General Admir, Admir, Abner to seize power. It certainly appears that he used the surviving son of Saul, named Ishbosheth. Uh, that's a problem right there, right? That kind of name I can't go well in life with you. Anyways, as a puppet who followed the advice simply of the power of Abner. Yes, stage. I can't help it. I have to turn my head. We're going to have yes. my control. So, <laughs> anyways, okay. So, anyway, the contrast to the leader David that God chose an anointed king so many years early is huge compared to that of ish Ishusha. David had been hunted down by Saul, as we saw in our study last year, for endless years of his life. He and his band of soldiers continually fled the attacks of Saul and his Abner, his army leader. So, how amazing it is that David's reaction to Saul's death, which you saw last week, is one of grief and sadness. I mean, for most of us, if somebody was pursuing to kill us, we'd be quite delighted that David dead. But Saul had a heart, I mean, David had a heart for Saul and, of course, his best friend. At last, though, David could have seen a clear path to being king as God declared him to be so many years earlier. Yet, the reaction of David is a broken heart. What incredible self-restraint David shows us in his life. He could have now demanded that Israel acknowledge he is the king and at great risk of a severe civil war, But his heart's desire was to do what God wanted him to do next. So, David is anointed king over Judah. We see this as we begin chapter two. And the first thing he did, we have a new president with all kinds of things to do, and this was the first uh, thing he did was seek direction from the Lord. Then it came about afterwards that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. So David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there and his two sons and and his two wives also, and all the other men with him. So David is still a fugitive at this point in Ziglag, but instead of rushing ahead and seeing that God had opened a wide open door for him to be crowned the new king, David seeks the Lord's direction in his life. What a great instruction to receive from David by his attitude and his actions. He wasn't about to uh, make the most of an opportunity and do what really would seem to be the logical thing to do next and make himself king. How often I think we are tempted when we have an open door to simply see it as God's providence and I must go through, but David uh, would not do anything on his own until he made sure that it was what the Lord wanted him to do, so acting uh, with impatience, which is often what we all struggle with us uh, doing, forces quick decisions and actions that for David, it might have been a, a quick trip to the throne, but at what it cost in not waiting on the Lord. So certainly he might have been, he might have seen this, as I said, an opportune moment to get the crown and yet he held back as he saw the direction of the Lord. You know, David didn't always do this and obviously in our study of the book, we'll see won't always be the case. But he did, it in this situation, he exemplifies for us what it means to trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So when we acknowledge the Lord in all our ways, it means that we do not act out of self-sufficiency or self-wisdom or self-will. Rather, we turn to the Word of God to be the light to our path and seek his glory, and what we're to do next. Uh, The Lord had promised David to be the king. The Lord had anointed him so long ago by the prophet Samuel as a young boy taking care of his dead sheep. And David wanted only the will of the Lord to be done. He came to that place of utter trust in the Lord who had promised him the kingdom, who would bring it about in his own time, in his own way. He would avoid any appearance of evil, not giving fuel for what the world, those loyal to Saul might think if he, uh, those who have despised him, followed Abner's army to try to get get rid of David. He didn't want to bring more division and harm. And when you read one of the Psalms written by David, like Psalm 59, 9, David declares that the Lord is my strength, upon him I will wait. And this is how David learned to wait and to trust. As one author put it, we never lose anything by believing and patiently waiting upon God, but we are always going to suffer when we take things into our own hands and rush blindly ahead. Notice how specific David was in his prayer for direction. David would have gone anywhere the Lord told him to go, but it certainly was logical for the Lord, to him to ask the Lord, should I go back to where I'm from? and the Lord gave him a general answer first, yes, go to Judah. And how often the Lord does that? He gives us a general direction and answer to prayer and then makes things more clear, clear as time goes on. And later gives us more specific instructions little by little. And it keeps us dependent on him, it keeps us trusting him and growing our patience. I wanted to read from a quote from a book. The trusting God uh, by Jerry Bridge's book. He says someone has described life as like having a thick curtain hung on across one's path. A curtain that recedes before us as we advance, but only step by step. None of us can tell what is beyond the curtain. None of us can tell what events a single day or hour may bring into our lives. Sometimes the receding curtain reveals events as much as we had expected. And often it reveals events most unexpected and frequently most undesired. He goes on to say, not only are the willful malevol- malevolent acts of other people, like David experienced with Saul, under God's sovereign control, so also are the mistakes and failures of other people. Neither the willful malicious acts nor the unintended mistakes of people can thwart. God's purpose for us. Amen. And that's what David was learning in all of his waiting. James 1, 4 reminds us, let us, endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, clear direction, go to Hebron. But what a great encouragement for us to be pray, praying about everything. The Lord wants us to be specific when we pray as well. He wants us to cast all our cares on Him. We are to bring everything to Him in prayer. And a verse from that old hymn, "What a Friend We Have in Jesus," oh, reminds us, oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Well, Hebron was a chief city in Judah, but even as David obeyed and went there, it was not David who got there and declared himself to be the king. Rather, it was the tribe of Judah who took that initiative. David, their king. Here we see the people wanted David to be their king, unlike what was going on in the rest of Israel, Israel where the people were simply accepting what was being told them. At one last, David is a closer to becoming king, but for now, me. it will only be the people of Judah. So this ongoing challenge of learning patience, you know, the Lord brings that into our lives over and over. You know, doing this, what I've done is certainly. Patience, <laughs> living life from a chair. Uh, but I love what David is an example to us in learning and waiting and waiting and waiting. As one writer put it, uh, love is patience with people. It is the ability to put up with the frustrations we face any time we have a relationship with someone who is just a squad and every bit is fallen that's so true we're annoyed at people but those are the people who are making us the impatience and underneath our impatience with other people lies our impatience with God when we truly surrender our homes our jobs, our relationships to the lordship of Jesus Christ we are able to wait patiently for his timing but until then we are always struggling for more control and are very impatient when we fail to get it so David is a great example to us learning this process. And it doesn't come any other way but by being forced to be patient. So when we see in verses 2 and 3 that David took his family now two wives, we're not going to talk about that uh, <laughs> I mean, that was stupid okay. but okay, along with all of his men and their families who had all been fugitives for years and the men of Judah came and their to David king over the house of Judah and they told David saying it was the men of Judah, she killed him." Who buried Saul. So now is David's decision as a new king. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed of the Lord because you have shown this kindness to Saul your Lord and have buried him. Now may the Lord show loving kindness and truth to you, and I also will show this goodness to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore, let your hands be strong, be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead. And also, the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So, as new king of Judah, David wants to express appreciation for the kindness of this community (laughs) of Jabesh Gilead, who risked their lives doing a very noble thing. You know, when the Philistines killed uh, Jonathan, his brothers, his dad, they they made sports of their bodies. They pinned them to the wall of their city. Actually, in Israel on one of our visits. That wall is still there. <laughs> and anyways, this community from Jehosh Gilead went at risk of their own lives to rescue their bodies so that they could get a proper burial. It was very gracious and brave and noble of them. There was no demand at this point that David follow um, demand that people. Uh, the, fat, the, rah, nah. the people follow him who were in Jehosh Gilead. But he wanted to commend them for their amazing thing that they did, and he, he offered Lord's blessing on them and their noble effort. And again, as I was gonna say, there's no demand that they follow him or side against Ishteshat. The real enemy really of Israel at this point is the Philistine army. And no doubt that Philistines were quite delighted that Israel was a divided country at this point. Now we're gonna swing over to a different part of the country where Ishbosheth is made king. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, means son of Shane, the son of Saul, and brought him to Mahaniam, and had made him king over all of Gilead, the Asherites, Jezreel, Ephraim, Benjamin, even all Israel. He was 40 years old when he became king over Israel. He was king for two years. So the house of Judah, however, followed David. At the time that Judah was king in Hebron, over the house of Judah was seven, years and six months. So it would appear like this youngest son of Saul was a loser. Uh, Abner's is the brains and the power behind this 40-year-old son of Saul who wasn't even at the battle with his dad and brothers where they were slain. And he set him up to reign in the for just a two-year period. David reigned seven and a half years at Hebron as we've seen. It may well have been that there was some length of time between Saul and in his death, and Ishbosheth being uh, made king, as well as David reigning over Judah from Hebron, and the death of Ishbosheth, because it seems like a long period of time, that's seven and a half years. The son of Saul was apparently the youngest. His name really was Eshbaal, which means fighter of Baal, and it was changed to mean man of shame. And it appears during this time, the Philistine army was having a great deal of success in their raids on Israel. So they set up this capital far on the east side of Jordan, away from the Philistine bases. So you have a weak king now leading the majority of the nation, and you have Abner kind of telling him what to do. Abner who never consulted the Lord or a prophet. He just made this decision and would seem like a power play for himself. And that brings us to civil war. The attempt for less bloodshed is seen in the next section, verses, uh chapter two, verse twelve through three one. Now Abner the son of Ner, went out from Ahanaim to Gibeon, with the servants of ish the son of Saul. And Joel, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, one on one side of the pool, one on the other side of the pool. Now let the young men arise and hold the contest. Each one seized his opponent by the head. They fell down together. So the two sides of this divided country meet by a pool about 7 miles northwest of Jerusalem. The pools have been excavated about 27 feet around, 35 feet deep. And just as David had been one man back when he fought Goliath, he was the representative of Israel, Goliath representative of the Philistines, so let's just have those two go at it. So Abner suggests a, le- a less bloody situation and let's have the elite of each of our armies uh, fight and maybe that will let the winner of that be the prevalent one over having the Civil War. So they agreed, Joseph gave his 12 best men hand-to-hand combat with Abner's 12 best men. This battle ends quickly, it seems crazy, reading that, but each grabbing his opponent by the head and thrusting their sword or dagger into the sides of each other, so you got 24 dead, really talented soldiers, not dead. <clears throat> and sadly, the result was fierce fighting began between the two armies of the same country and kindred. The result is more war with David and his men coming out as the victors. And as you read in your lesson, the brother of Joab decided he was going to pursue Abner. Abner kept telling him, Walk away, don't keep following me. And it would appear that he really didn't want to kill Joab's brother. But a confrontation finally ensued, and Abner did kill. Him. Asahel. And as you read, there was total shock with this incredibly talented, gifted warrior is found dead and everyone just, just stood still. This wartime event will have an important sequel in our studies which we will be seeing in the weeks to come. So now the Brothers of the Fallen Soldiers are hot on the trail of Abner. Abner is joined by the sons of Benjamin who stand with Abner on top of a hill and Abner thought himself to be the wise one here But it really was Abner's error in judgment that caused him to crown Ishbosheth and provoke this whole civil war. His desire for power had a lot of difficult and awful repercussions, and mainly it will be on him. So Abner calls for a truce at this juncture. Then Abner said, shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the end? How long will you refrain from telling the people to turn back from following the brothers? Job said, well, as God lives, if you had not spoken, surely then the people would have gone away in the morning, each from following his brother. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the people halted and pursued Israel no longer, nor did they continue to fight anymore. Abner and his men went to Mahania, and Joab returned from following Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, 19 of David's men plus his brother had died in 360. <clears throat> so both Joab and Abner recognized that the men who were following each of them were in reality the kindred. These are brothers, brothers of the same family lines and the same tribes, all going back to the 12 sons of, of Jacob. War is about fighting your enemy, it's not uh-huh. about fighting your relatives. Job and Abner show wisdom here in recognizing how deep seated conflict and hostility within a nation can only bring destruction. It's a bit late. All of this could have been avoided if Abner had not decided to make Ishbosheth king in Saul's place. It was Abner who crowned that man, not God who had chosen him. David was still waiting on God. And in doing so, he had no intention of attacking Ishbosheth and going to take him out at his headquarters. Again, Abner wants there to be less bloodshed and hostilities and calls for a truce, and Joab is willing to do so, but Joab blames Abner in verse 27. Had Abner not presented a challenge in the first place, many men still be alive. So the chapter ends with Abner and his men returning back to Mahanian, with the 360 dead or missing, and Joab and his 19 men missing or dead, and his brother. So the chapter closes really with the funeral of Asahel, whose body was brought back to Bethlehem to be buried in the tomb of his father. Now, his brothers, his beloved brothers, wanted this important task complete before they would head back to David at Hebron. And Joab is going to be a key figure in our studies in the weeks to come. The mother of Joab and his two brothers is mentioned as Zariah in verse 18. And this mother is believed to be David's sister. So his three generals were actually his three nephews. (coughs) And Joab would remain the commander of of David's army for David's uh, tenure as king. He gets involved in the future to try to reinstate Absalom after Absalom kills his half-brother. Then he is the one who who goes off and kills Absalom when he was in rebellion. I mean, Joab's a key player in all this great military skill <coughs> and leadership he was very talented warrior, but he had a treacherous heart. He, we will see as him uh, carrying out assassinations in the future to the point where David when he's dying says to his son Solomon the sons of Zariah are too difficult for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil. David wanted nothing to do the kind of vengeance and treachery that Joab planned. So, how do we apply any of this to our lives? (laughs) So what? Okay, we studied this chapter, and I hope you've come away with something. Just thinking of a few things. Like David, we need, need to learn what it means to wait on the Lord, and not take matters into our own hands. Even if it seems like it's an open door, that doesn't mean you go. And especially if we want something really bad and you know, we have that tendency to view, make things open doors in our own minds so that we feel the Lord has opened the door. So this is especially true, as I said, when obstacles are removed or whatever and we can think, I'm just going to do what it is I want to do. But David learned to wait. David also prayed while he waited for direction. One great example is prayers are very specific. The Bible is God's word, and it is our light on our path. And it must be where we look, where we wait in making decisions. Self-sufficiency and convincing ourselves of what we want must be instead what God wants. And when we go our own way, we hit, we face serious pitfalls. So the only way to learn patience is to be in a situation where you're forced to have to wait and wait on the Lord, and that's what grows our faith to trust Him. No, there's no shortcut to get there. David demonstrated great wisdom by expressing gratitude to people who had carried out a noble act. I mean, we have our time thinking people that we like, you know, do something nice for us, but this, this was the people, you know, really have been his enemy. Following Saul, wanting to get rid of David, but he went and expressed his gratitude to them for the things that they had done. How often do we fail to express gratitude to people? Especially those who aren't on the same page of us or those who we don't even agree with. But he was kind and gracious and grateful to people who probably didn't think too much of him. And then you just can't help but think when you look at Abner's life that he had no idea of God's heart. As Romans tells us, never pay back evil for evil. To anyone. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord.
1: This is not what ruled
0: in Joab's life. He took matters into his own hands, and David, by contrast, is that man after God's own heart. That's why he couldn't endorse the actions of his nephews that he loved. They were great military leaders, but you know, you can't. Think that because you have power, you can be the judge and the jury and executioner. Now the general of Saul's army, Abner, should not have jumped the gun and determined who would be the king after Saul died on his own thinking, his own mind. He was full of himself. He wanted the role of having more power and control.
1: And you may say, well, I'm
0: obviously not a commander of anything. Never been in the army, perhaps. Relate to that, but I, I, oh, contrary, I think you can relate to that. <laughs> because all of us like to have power and control over the events, the people in our lives to make it go how we want it to go and be how we want it to be. And we learn to need to learn what not to do when looking at the life of Abner. We don't have swords and guns that we're wielding against those who are trying to take power. But I was thinking about one of the weapons that we do have, and that we use sometimes very vividly for good or for evil, and that is our tongue. It is a powerful weapon that's either used to give glory and honor to God or slash and slam and destroy people. People aren't doing what we want them to do and how we want them to do it and when we want them to do it. So let's learn, I don't know what else the Lord may bring to your mind. Those are just the things that I gleaned from this chapter. And um, the Lord has given me an opportunity to be learning more about patience and more about depending on other people and more that I can't do anything for myself and what that's like. So it's a good place to be because that's how we grow. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have the privilege of studying your word and that all scripture is God-breathed. All of it has purpose. All of it is for our encouragement and for our instruction. And as we go through this book of 2 Samuel, and so many events that we see are bloody or wicked and hard to watch, just like the world we live in, um, I pray that we would glean and learn the truths that you have This study of this book, and as you paint the picture through your word of presenting the truth and not hiding any sin, Lord, I pray that we would learn what you'd have us to learn that we would be women after your own heart, women who are patient, who wait on you, who trust you for your timing, for your will, and that we would honor you with how we love and serve the use of our own uh, positions of influence, that we would be godly and christ honoring in your name.